As we think about this subject of outreach and how do we share our faith and, and uh, become more effective in that, um, that, that's what I want to be doing this, um, this month. And I, I listened to a, a video that was done by headquarters this week and sent out probably one of the best things I've seen in uh, the last 10 years uh, out of headquarters um, talking about outreach. And the theme of that that video was that it needs to be our any outreach we do really needs to be organic. And uh, when we th- when we think about um, organic crops, which are so big today, um, grown without pesticides and all fertilizers and all this kind of stuff, if you think about that in terms of outreach, doing outreach in a way that is just natural. If you can do outreach in a way that is natural for you and natural for the person you're reaching out to, um, that's going to be the most effective. Anytime you and I are doing something that we're nervous about and uncomfortable and kind of just uneasy about, or we're doing it in a way that makes the other person uneasy, it's probably not going to be all that effective, nor is it going to be something that we're going to want to repeat. And so the, one of the themes of that, that video I listened to this week, and I just mentioned that as an intro uh, this morning, is that you and I really need to learn to be able to share our faith in a way that is just very natural and comfortable for us, but is also natural for someone else to receive and hear. And uh, that takes some work and some doing, but it's a good challenge, and it's something that you and I can be Asking God to help us with, how can I share my faith, God, in a way that just is natural to me, it doesn't make me nervous, it doesn't put knots in my stomach, and it doesn't um, make anyone else that I share my faith with uneasy. And ask God to start providing those opportunities for us. Um, I want to start here with uh, Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34. It follows where Paul has been on a missionary journey. He's been in Thessalonica. He's been in Berea. And now he heads to Athens. Um, Some of you may know that um, as Mars Hill, where Paul preaches his Mars Hill sermon. While Paul was waiting for them, Silas and Timothy... Uh, would be them, in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both um, Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day, with those who happened to be there. Now, as I said, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they had been up in Thessalonica, and that was a place where when, when they went to share the gospel, um, even though we have a letter to the Thessalonians, at first, their go- the gospel was just highly rejected. And they ran them out of town, and so they went down to Berea. And when you get down to Berea in Acts chapter 17, you'll find those words that the Bereans were a more noble character. They received the gospel um, without, um, without criticism and without just rejecting it. And so Paul... They're doing real well there. They're having converts in Berea and good things are happening. And all of a sudden, the, the Jews from Thessalonica that ran them out of there, they moved down to Berea to run Paul out of there. <laughs> I mean, they just had an agenda to get rid of Paul. 
And so they come down, they stir up trouble in Berea, and there's still converts there, but Paul is uh, told to leave, and so he leaves, and he goes down to Athens, and Silas and Timothy stay behind to disciple the converts for a while in Berea before they come and join the Apostle Paul. So that is what Paul is waiting on. He's waiting on Saul and Timothy to get down there uh, to Athens uh, to help him in his ministry there. And while he's there, he's in this great city of Athens, Greece. And uh, he's there and he's looking around. But Paul didn't go anywhere just as a tourist. Now, in Athens, you could certainly go as a tourist because there was so much. It was a cultural center of the day and there was so much to see. And Paul could have gone as a tourist and while he was waiting, but he was an evangelist and that was his mission. And so he's there and he, and he notices all the idols anywhere he looked. There were idols everywhere in Athens and he was distressed by that. And so he began to reason with the, uh, the Athenians and talk to them. And so he goes to the synagogue first. Now in the synagogue, there is, of course, Jews and some Greeks who were um, God-fearing. In, in other words, they hadn't become Jews, but they were honoring a lot of the things, the Jewish teachings and all of that, and they would participate in a lot of things um, done at the synagogue. And so he was there arguing with them and talking, um, talking, reasoning with them and talking to them about all these idols and all of that and trying to lead them to faith in Christ. And... Um, as a result of that, then the other thing that happened is he didn't just stay in the synagogue. He also went to the marketplace, and at the marketplace, um, he would just, whoever came to the marketplace, he would talk with and, and reason with. And so you have two-pronged outreach from the life of the Apostle Paul right here in Athens. First of all, he goes to a place like this. Now, we're not Jews, we're not a synagogue, but we're Christians. And so he, he presents the gospel in the church of the day. Um, they were without uh, faith in Christ. Now, as I was praying this week and, and thinking about this whole subject of outreach, God reminded me um, that you know we can't always talk about outreach to those outside the church because a lot of times we need to do outreach inside the church and just because somebody is a, a person of faith practicing faith doesn't mean that they have found faith in Christ and so we always need to be doing both of those inside and outside the church there needs to be that ministry of outreach but um Athens, Paul began to, so he was in the synagogue, but he also went out into the marketplace. And if you and I are really going to be effective in sharing our faith, we can't just share our faith among Christians. We have to be out there in the marketplace and share our faith there. If we're going to reach the world for Christ, obviously we can't just reach it in here. This can't be the only place we share our faith. Um, and so Paul does that. He goes out and, and the marketplace represents people who you know, are without faith, a faith tradition, and also without Christ. 
And, and that was the place where in, in Athens people came and they conducted business. But in Athens they did something else that was really different from our marketplaces today. We don't stand around and have philosophical debates when we go to Walmart. Um, you don't see many of those happening. You don't go to town and just see people discussing philosophy of life when you go to Cashwise. And all of those kind of things. But in, in Athens, people would just gather and have big, long philosophical discussions as if they had absolutely nothing else to do. And so that's, that's one of the things what happened. So Paul went to the synagogue and he also shared his faith in the marketplace. And he would just rub shoulders with people and share his faith. Now, um, David Kinnaman writes, um, so many Christians are caught up in the Christian subculture that we are completely closed off from the world. We go to church. We attend uh, a small group. Uh, we serve on various committees and boards. We go to barbecues with Christian friends. We plan outings together. And basically, we're closed off from the church from the, the world, and if we ever really wanted to reach out to non-Christians, we wouldn't really have time for that anyway. We're too busy. Um, and we wouldn't know how. Um, so the only way um, we know how to reach out to people is to invite them into our Christian setting. Paul didn't necessarily do that. Paul reached out to the synagogue and he went to the marketplace and he shared his faith wherever he went. So the, so the apostles, the, the, the early church, not only worked within the Jewish subculture, people that had that Jewish background in history, but they also worked with Gentiles who had no religious background at all that was of Jewish origin. Now, continuing on with the scripture. There was a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, and they began to debate him in the marketplace. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? People have said that about me. Other, others remark, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrections. Now, and the resurrection. Athens was a great city. It was a great cultural city. It was a great city of education. And, but the glory of Athens had kind of began to diminish as paganism grew in that culture with spiritual idols and secular philosophy. Now, neither one of those was working very well. And so the culture of, of Athens was diminishing. Um, you know, they have the saying, you can carry a rabbit's foot for luck. But remember, it didn't work very well for the rabbit. And a lot of what the world has to offer us today that we run to simply doesn't really work in life. The gospel works in life. So here you have two groups of people in the marketplace and people in between, of course, but two major philosophical groups of people in the marketplace. Um, there were the Stoics. They were kind of materialistic a lot. Um, uh, a lot like uh, maybe some older uh, older generations of people living today, uh, more materialistic, um, but their God was in nature. 
and they just saw nature and everything. They believed in a form of evolution, and they tended to be fairly disciplined, self-disciplined people. And then there were the Epicureans, and they were kind of the opposite of that. Um, they were the people who just loved pleasure, and their, their philosophy was not grounded in reason. It was grounded in experience. Whatever I can experience is what I want to experience. And uh, they, they seemed to be a little bit aloof. Uh, they were atheists, and they tended to just live their life to the full. Eat, drink, and be merry was their philosophy. So you have these two groups of people, and then you have the Jews in that culture, in the synagogue, who have their own subculture. And so Paul went to the marketplace, and he begins talking and reasoning with these two groups of people in the marketplace, and some of them ridiculed him, and they called him a babbler, and they just didn't understand what he was saying. But others were interested. They were confused, but they were interested. And they said, we need to hear more, but we also need to take you somewhere so that you know we've got, we've got groups of people that kind of regulate what philosophy happens here and what is taught and all of that. We want to take you there and let them hear you. So... Going on in the scripture, then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, uh, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing us some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to hear what they mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. And that's a parenthetical statement that... Um, Luke makes as he writes the book of um, Acts. Now, the Areopagus was the Supreme Court of Athens, and they watched over two segments. They watched over all the religious stuff that happened in Athens, and they watched over all the education stuff. And so when some new idea came into Athens, they would want to take that person to that group of people and let them hear it and decide whether we would allow that thinking to go on in that community and all of that. And so they take him there since they believe that Paul was introducing something new, and indeed he was. Nobody had heard uh, about Jesus and the resurrection yet. And so he introduces that, and so they take him up to Mars Hill, where the Areopagus was. Then Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Now, this, this is just absolutely brilliant. Paul's approach to reaching people who were deeply involved in idols and deeply involved in, in philosophy and all that stuff that, that was just simply non-scriptural. They led him up there to Mars Hill and they invited him to, to preach, basically, to share what he was uh, trying to teach them. And he walks in and instead of criticizing them for all their idols, he comes at it almost in a form of a compliment. And he says, I see by all these idols around Athens that you really are spiritual people. You are looking for God. <laughs> and you know, most people that we run into, they are looking for something. 
and we need to find out how are they meeting that need in their life. They haven't found Christ, but they are trying to meet that need, that hole in their heart, by doing something else. And Paul comes in and he says, I look around at Athens and I see that you are very spiritual people. You have all these idols and you're very religious, which is, you know, our term today would be spiritual. Everybody's spiritual, but they don't know Christ, but they're spiritual. And, and that same kind of mindset um, was there in Athens. And so he found a way to compliment them and find some common ground with them and uh, that would provide a place for him to begin to share the gospel. And he calls their attention. He says, I have carefully walked around and really looked at all your idols. You wouldn't expect Paul to do that. But he had gone around Athens and he had paid enough attention to all the idols and to what their names were and to all of that to find this one that was the idol to the unknown God. He says, when I walked around Athens, I found a special idol. And it says it's the idol to the unknown God. Paul says to them at that point, I know who that unknown God is. It is Christ. And I am going to proclaim him to you so that you don't have to worship an idol that you don't know who it is. (laughs) I'm going to tell you about Christ in that. So his tone in his outreach in the marketplace is not one of a prophet condemning their idolatry. Remember, the prophets primarily, when they were condemning idolatry and condemning all the the different things, they were speaking mostly to the church. The prophets in the Old Testament, most of them were dealing with Jerusalem. They were dealing with Judah and Israel and their sin. They weren't speaking to pagan culture primarily. They were talking to God's people. So Paul didn't use a prophetic tone of condemning the idolatry of people. He used an evangelist tone when he got out in the marketplace. And that evangelist tone was trying to connect them to God and find any way to to do that, to bridge that gap, to bring them uh, to a relationship with God. So Paul built that bridge um, to the spirituality that his listeners were engaging in. They were engaging in idols. So he used their idols as a bridge to connect them to God. Uh, What they were practicing wasn't leading them anywhere. And he offered them Christ and he redirected them to the living God. So then... Luke goes on to write in Acts, he said, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. This is the sermon. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all nations and they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. 
For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now, both of those last two quotes come from Greek um, philosophers of the day. Um, I can't even say their names, so I'm not even going to try. But they were different philosophers. And Paul connected. He understood their philosophies. He he understood their mindset and all of that. And he took something, again, from their culture and used it to tell them about Christ and the resurrection. Now, his sermon included basically five major points. First of all, he starts with the fact that God is a creator. The foundation of everything that you and I believe comes down to that. If you don't believe in creation, there isn't much else in in the Bible um, (laughs) that holds together. If you're going to throw out the first two chapters of Genesis, you don't have much of the Bible left. And he starts out and he says, God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He affirmed that God is the creator and the Lord of everything. And he says, you know, and my God, he is too big. This, this unknown God that you worship, he's bigger than everything that has been created. He's not part of creation. He's outside of creation and he's bigger than all of it. Um, he's too big to be confined by human creation. In other words, Paul says, you can't build a temple that God can fit in. Humankind can't build anything that, that God can fit in. He's bigger than all of the created order. Now, the Epicureans, they were people who believed that matter was God. Um, and everything, everything boiled down to just matter. The Stoics, on the other hand, believed that um, God um, believed everything was God. <laughs> so everything you touched, it, it was God. And you ought to just enjoy it because it's God. And so they didn't separate God from anything that you could put your hands on. And Paul said, no, my God is separate from all creation. And he created everything that has been created. And he's larger than all creation. The second thing Paul says is that God is the good source of everything that you and I enjoy. Now, especially to the Epicureans who really wanted to just enjoy life, eat, drink, and be merry. He was saying to them that everything that there is in life, it comes from this unknown God that you worship. It comes from Christ. He is the one who has provided everything that you and I enjoy in life. And sometimes, friends, we forget that, even as Christians. That there isn't anything that you and I have in life that God didn't create. And no matter what you do in life, whatever you partake in that you enjoy, God created that. And you ought to give thanks to him for that. You know, Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. In other words, We don't have anything to offer God. He has everything to offer to us, and so he is worthy of our worship. We ought to live our lives to please him. The third thing that Paul tells the Athenians is this, 
that he is an involved sovereign God and he's a personal ruler. He's not distant. He's not uninvolved. He's not uncaring. He's not like all these gods who are just wood or stone. God is beyond that. He is involved in creation. He is present among us. He cares about what is happening. He's not distant and uninvolved, and he rules the nations. He is actually in charge of what is happening in the world today. And sometimes you and I look around and we get really concerned about things, but God is still in control. He's still the sovereign king of all the things that are happening. And then the very last thing that Paul says in his sermon is that this God has been holding back his wrath, the wrath of God on all the evil and sin in the world. He has held it back, but he is coming back as a judge at the end of time. And and this is where he says that. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked that kind of ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And so Paul Paul goes to these Athenians and these people in the marketplace and he says, um, you know, because you and I have been created by God, we should never think that God is just like one of these idols of wood or stone or anything that man could make. He's bigger than all of that. He has made and designed each one of us. And, and he, you know, he goes on to say, God has been in the practice of overlooking that kind of ignorance. He has held off on his wrath, but he says there is coming a day when he's coming to judge the world. That's part of our motivation, by the way, to share our faith, to reach other people for Christ, because there is coming a day when God is going to come back, and that time he's not coming back as a friendly savior to the world. He's coming back as a judge, and he's going to judge righteously. And if, if you and I haven't lived our lives to honor and please him, if, we, if we're just living our lives just to eat, drink, and be merry, that's not going to be a good day when, when Jesus comes back. And so he says, He has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, Christ. And he has given this proof by raising him from the dead. He's coming back again. And the the message that Paul gives to those people is the gospel calls each one of us to repent. That means to turn away from what we've been doing and to go in a different direction. And and so Paul looks at all the idols around and he says, you need to leave those, you need to go with Christ. So the question for us is this, what, what are the idols? What are the things that we follow the world in that we need to let go of, we need to repent of, and we need to turn directions, and we need to follow Christ in. Now he goes on, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. 
And at that, Paul left the consul, and some of the people became followers of Paul, and they believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Demarius, and a number of others. Now, so you have all kinds of different reactions to Paul sharing his faith in the marketplace. Athens was not one of those places that it was really well received. There are not a lot of converts. This is not the day of Pentecost where 3,000 people get converted. One of the themes of Acts chapter 17 is you and I do not bear the responsibility for the results of sharing our faith. That is up to God. Paul went to Thessalonians. He was run out of town. Paul went to Berea. When he gets to Berea, there is people who are saved. They they come to know Christ. They want to be discipled. They're hungry for it. They're hungry for the word and and all of that. And so they start working on them. And then those Thessalonians come down and they, they cause trouble and stir things up. And so Paul goes to Athens. And, and quite frankly, he's less productive. But every place Paul goes, he finds a way to share the gospel organically in that culture with those people and to share Christ with them. But every place responds differently to the gospel as it is shared. Now, is Paul any different? Same guy. But he goes to one place and it's effective and he goes to another place and it's not near so effective. That is not your responsibility and my responsibility, whether we're fruitful or not in terms of that. Our responsibility is to be able to learn to be able to share our faith in whatever setting we are in and to have that heartbeat. Now, when you stop and think about it, Paul is in Athens. If you were to try to find the most effective place to share your faith, would you go to um, Berkeley University? Probably not. And sit down with the professors there. And and say, you know, I just want to tell you about Christ. Your chances of being effective there are probably not as great as sharing your faith somewhere else. But God cares about the professors at Berkeley. And he will send people to those professors at Berkeley. And God cares about people in more effective or fruitful areas also. God cares about all those areas. I happen to serve under... Uh, District Superintendent Isaac Smith, who has a huge passion for outreach and leading people to Christ. And, you know, constantly hear him talking about sharing your faith and uh, growing the church and all those kind of things. And yet, at the same time, in the midst of all of those conversations that I hear frequently when I'm surrounded by him, I have also heard him talk about the fact of rural places and places like Biddle, Montana and Johnson Corners and different places. And he'll say, but those people need a pastor too. Those people need the gospel too. They may not be able to be as effective in reaching people for Christ, but we still have a responsibility to cover our region with the gospel. 
So friends, I want to say to you today that God wants to use each one of us in sharing our faith. And we need to just ask God, help me to become natural in finding a way to share my faith that is is comfortable for the people I'm sharing my faith with too, but draws them to Christ.